friends, welcome to episode 187 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Hey, you know, I would say not bad, but it's getting cold. Yeah? And I can feel it. Yeah. I'm getting old. I, I, or I am old. I don't know. It's doing that thing where it's like plus or minus 10 degrees every other day. Mm-hmm. And that's really screwing with me. Yeah. Uh, I'm still getting over getting sick and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel it. I think everybody is just like half sick and low energy right now. We had a mouse guard game over the weekend. Oh, and that was so nice. I mean, it was very lovely to sit with our friends and stuff like that. But man, all of us were just so low energy, including the Mad Elf. Who's but it's rare. In a game that you get spoons back. Yeah. Like, usually, you know, it's the whole, like, I have to get with friends to get... We even heard this today from one of our friends, like, oh, God, there's another game coming up. That means I have to allocate spoons to be able to spend time with people and block out a six-hour block in my mind that I'm going to be peopling. Like, it becomes yeah. a stress. And this isn't that. Our mouse guard game is, like, almost the opposite of it, that. It's almost therapy, yeah. Yeah, it... But not, like, even therapy. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's, like, I haven't done one of them, but I think it might be, like, one of those isolation baths. Yeah. Where you're just laying there. Yeah. Life passes around you. Well, I don't mean I don't mean therapy in like the you know cleaning out cleaning the skeletons out of your closet way. I mean That's therapy fair. therapy in the stand in in the from the standpoint of it's therapeutic. You feel better after it. It's healing in nature. Yes. You know? There we go. There we go. Um. And it, no, it was just it was just very nice, uh, very nice, very very chill. And I like that our games of Mouse Guard can be low energy, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, like, because man, you know, I at least for me, I always go so hard with my own game. Well, I mean, I had mine this weekend. So we had we had a double feature this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and double... like mine, I'm trying to not rush you guys to the end, but let you guys get through the content at the speed that which you need to and want to. And I'm trying not to put more out there. Mm -hmm. I'm really trying not, but I'm also trying not to make the story seem cheap. <laughs> and it's hard. That's a hard yeah. thing, especially this far in. Yeah. You guys are expecting things to be there, and I'm like, I, I can't just pull them away from you. Like, yeah, that's not a thing anymore. I thought it was so cute when, like, f six months ago, you were like, you guys are like four or five game sessions from the end anyways. I was like, oh, oh, oh Rob. Rob. <laughs> oh, plur. That's what I like about you. We're always laughing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And now I'm like, maybe I'll finish it by the summer. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Like, because I know you guys are going to go after the other orb, and that's going to be a thing before you finish the end. Yeah, I mean... So that's a whole nother adventure. I, 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 I feel like you've written the uh, the story in such a way where we were almost obligated to, so... I mean, yeah, it's there. It's it's available, and I'm not going to stop you guys from going there. Like, I'm not going to be like, ah, hey, you guys don't need to do that. Like, I'm, I'm going to put it out there, and it's been there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And then we got my game coming up this weekend. Yeah, talk about stacking the deck for you. You got a busy week worth of terrain and minis. Oh my and... god. Yeah, I got I got the minis painted, luckily. Congrats. Um and I think they they, they turned out uh, phenomenal. Um however, I like I'm freaking out because like I've got I've got the adventure more or less written. Like I've got enough structure there that I can wing it, but I don't have it like I don't have encounters really like written out, written out. Because mm -hmm. again, it's one of those things where like I'm going to give you guys the, you know, the, the the impetus to move, 
and then it's really just a like I I don't know how you guys are handle it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be very driven by Sean's character because uh, it's essentially his yeah. his B plot. Right, right. And uh, I've got the minis built, but what I don't have, I'm I'm trying to put together another like terrain board because I found uh, what I did last time with the with the tavern was I went mm-hmm. online and I found a map. Mm-hmm. Um, just free online. Sure. And uh, it was pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And I pretty quickly and easily whipped it up in three dimensions with using XPS foam Very and, much so. and cardstock board. Uh, and then 3D printed like a bunch of like little tavern, you know, Pieces. a shelf and a bar top and some tables and whatnot. Yeah. Um, this is a little more complex because there's actually um, some verticality to the terrain. Mm-hmm. And then the building itself has like five or six different rooms. Mm-hmm. Technically, it's got two stories because there's some catwalks over mm-hmm. one of the areas, and there's also a basement area. And I'm not building the basement area. I just oh God, straight don't up do don't that. have time don't do for that. that. Don't do that to yourself. Um, but uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I kind of was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna just do this, and like, and I thought back to how quickly I got the tavern board to come together, mm-hmm. and so I thought to myself, oh, I easily whip this up, and it's just like not coming together that quick. Yeah, and so uh, game is on Sunday. I have all Saturday technically to work on it, and then like, if I do any more tonight, Thursday, and Friday, mm-hmm. um, I might need to make make a trip out to the craft store to get some like air dry clay. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. There's some there's some things it, it might or might not come together. But okay, I will do my absolute best, but I'm stressing out about that right now. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Regardless of what, you know you don't need the things you're doing. Oh, I know. I know. I know. And and that's that's I, I like it's always in the back of my mind is like the only person imposing these deadlines and and quality checks on you is you. Yep. You yep. know that, right? But at the same time, it's my game and I understanding it's my own standards, but I like them. You know, I like to present that type of product. That's how I, you know, that's how I roll. So, so Knox asks, did you ever imagine that one day you'd be such a mini architect? Um, I kind of did. Okay. I kind of did. I've always, I've always kind of done this stuff. Sure. Um, the problem was I didn't always have the budget or the know-how. That's fair. And honestly, the tool sets and everything have come into the right place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not, and, and here's the thing, is it's funny that Knox is asking me this, because Knox knew me in high school. Aww. Uh, and so Knox knows what a huge Battletech geek I was back in high school. Still I didn't am. play D&D, I played, I played Battletech. Mm-hmm. And so, that is being, being that that is a miniatures-based game, mm-hmm. uh, the dream of having full three-dimensional terrain uh, all painted up and looking pretty like a model train set, but with mechs instead... Has always been a dream of mine, mm-hmm. and it's only just now that I've got you know the tools and the budget and the space, yeah, to do this all. So yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I dreamed, I just couldn't do it. You yeah. know, no, no, and I, I definitely, we've talked about how much the tools are available now for everybody, and that's, oh, yeah. that's awesome. Absolutely. I love that. So, um, I do like the only thing I want to say is is that uh, I mean, obviously, some of you guys have been listening to us for three years thank Mm -hmm. you if you have been and also i'm sorry uh, because there's probably been things we shouldn't (laughs) have done but uh yeah if you hear something different with me uh i did want to say that i read just after getting off work today and before the show uh that uh christine mcvee or mcvie i I can never say her last name properly uh passed and that's the lead singer and one of the writers of fleetwood mac Mm -hmm. and they were 
the the band I listened to and grew up with. Like they've always been part of my life. They've always been a huge thing uh, with my father, and uh, like I've never got to see them, uh, but their music was just always there. So to see that was kind of a hard impact on me, and I didn't realize how much it would be. But music is a, a, a an odd connection in my life because mm-hmm. I use it for so much inspiration. I use it for so much like emotional movement when I'm trying to think about something. So to have one of the artists who's inspired me, who's moved me, passes, uh, it's hard. Yeah. So yeah. So. Well, sorry, dude. I yeah. Know, it was kind of a kind of a downer for the day. You know? No, it's all right. We've got stuff to talk about, and and believe me, within five minutes of the discussion, I'll be rolling in it. So yeah, right on. But uh, you you grabbed this topic about uh, I think halfway into our brainstorming for this season, you were like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a topic that that's come up a little bit um in online discussion here and there, and I think I I, I like." Uh, I wanted to discuss it because I enjoy kind of the meta-narrative of um, RPGs in general and where they sit culturally and anthropologically uh, in our society uh, and such like that. So, you know, I, I know our intro says well, this is a sh- you know, show about making you a better storyteller, but today is not going to make anybody a better storyteller. It's just going to mostly be talking about how D&D fits culturally. I don't know um, if it doesn't, because one of the things is that we do have a lot of early i would say young <clears throat> storytellers mm-hmm. and i say young maybe not by age but by experience sure, where sure. you've just come into it i mean even the most recent interviewee that we had didn't know anything about role playing or have a connection to it until very recently in yeah. his right he did gaming in a whole bunch of other ways but it was never attached to him and we have people that that i have people that i know who l- grew up in very rural areas who had zero connection to it and it wasn't until their late 30s that they even started playing they were like there's a thing yeah so, because of that, the idea of D and D as a brand feels odd. I mean, these were people who who did know about things like Apple, you know, who who understand what Adidas is mm-hmm. or Nike, because those are ubiquitous brands that have branched all the way from, you know, high power consumers all the way to you know backyards in rural Kentucky or Iowa. Sure, you know? sure. But sure. D&D? Yeah, well, so. Dun- Dungeons & Dragons is a lifestyle brand now, I think. Uh, that's the hypothesis I'm working off of, and that's what our discussion is about tonight. Um, so I want to I start the discussion with a uh, with a quote that I saw. Um, I, I, I couldn't find attribution for this particular tweet. I'm sure a lot of people have come to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure it's got a lot of different attribution. But the quote is, The sooner you realize Apple is a fashion company and not a technology company, everything becomes much clearer. I agree with that statement. And, and it, it does. It really does. And that was a very eye-opening uh, uh thing for me realizing that you know they not only are we talking about a company that brands things like you know watches and phones uh earbuds and whatnot as well as their computers but from the greater standpoint of you want to be seen quote-unquote wearing their brand you know it becomes kind of an identity um, and that's what we're talking about with a lifestyle brand. A lifestyle brand is a brand that attempts to embody the values, aspirations, interests, attitudes, or opinions of a group or culture for marketing purposes. Mm-hmm. That is from Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, 
And so you think about what a, what a lifestyle brand is, and using Apple as this example, sure. you know, you've got someone who, like, I mean, have you ever talked to an Apple user? One too many times. Yeah. And no, no. <laughs> I am going to throw a little shade, and I say this because I grew up in an Apple family, mm-hmm. and I was once one of these Apple users. Mm-hmm. So any shade I'm throwing here, I am throwing directly back at my, my past self, essentially. Um of just, you know, wanting to be seen as an Apple user. Like, you don't see PC users being like, oh, I'm a Windows user, you know. Right. They just, they're just PC users. Like, they, they mm-hmm. just have a computer. They just do computer stuff. But mm-hmm. Apple users are like, oh, it's an Apple since you didn't ask, you know. Yeah. And and that's kind of where your lifestyle brand, like, that's the effect you're looking for. When you have a lifestyle brand, you have people who identify as users of the product. Well, in 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 its ever since its inception in its marketing has always been about the breakaway, about the individual that this makes you an individual, you know, versus part of the masses, right? Like if you look across a bunch of people who are sitting at, and I'm, I'm going to be bad, like a library, right? And they've all got their laptops out and things like that. You could scan and easily see that's a Mac, that's a Mac. You know, all of those are Apple products sure. because they are notably different and logoed to be identifiable. Yeah, they want to stand out because they're a fashion brand. You Correct. want people to look at it and go, oh. That's an Apple user. Right. You know? I mean, from the first iPod or, or iPods that were, you know, for music had an identifiable look. And it was about identifying the person wearing the thing, right? Everybody was always silhouetted. It didn't matter who you were. You mm-hmm. were an Apple iPod user. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I distinctly remember those commercials. I remember the feel of it. Um, Nike did the same thing. Mm-hmm. In the way that everyone could have Nike, although that was very much untrue. Yeah. Because it was very much an elite shoe for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. And if you wanted real Nikes, like Air Jordans, you were really getting it, you know, and then... You were shelling out, like, 150 bucks for... And and that was, like, in in the 1980s, so, like, pre-lots of inflation when gas was less than a dollar, you know? Yeah. And it's it makes for an image mm-hmm. of who you are. Well, not only does it make for an image, but it also kind of sets up like an in uh, almost an us and them sort of mentality. Yes, you know, it puts you into a culture. You it, are now part of it. Yeah, you're, it puts you into into this exclusive club of like Apple users. Like all the others out there, they're just plebes. But now you you've got a pair of Nikes. Now you you've got the Apple, and you get to kind of show that off. Um, You actually see this a lot in sports culture as well. Mm -hmm. Sports culture is very good at doing this kind of like... um, No, mind you, I mean, sports culture is oftentimes built around teams because that is the nature of sports. We'll Um, get back to that in its point counterpoint but sure 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 um but like you see a lot of the sort of things where it's like you know oh i identify as a buffalo bills fan you know where you've got your jerseys your face paint your banners collectible cards equipment with autographs commemorative photos and stuff like that um and you know you want to be seen as you want to present yourself and be seen in your peer group as the biggest fan you know, right, right, right. Uh, you want you know you've got your season tickets. You hoot and holler the loudest. Yeah. You 
you can't just casually watch. You have to feel involved. You well, have to feel like you're part of the team. You people know? are coming over to the house to watch the game. I've got to have my jersey on. I've got to have my pennants up. I've got to have my my home team bowl yeah. of whatever. Sure. I have to have a nice spread and my giant TV, right? I need to have my flag planted out front, right, so that they know which house to come to because this is the house of the X team, you know? And it is that culture. Even when people move states, they will keep, you know, like Steeler fans 12 states away are still Steeler fans. There's a reason I said Buffalo Bills yeah. as my example because yeah. that's where I was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, I don't even watch football, and I and I carried that with me, you we, know? We live in Detroit. Who do you? Buffalo Bills. No, no. Right, right. What I'm saying, we live in Detroit. You, you don't root for the Lions, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a football team. I mean... We do. We have a pick team. That's what they're for. Yeah. But we won't get into that because neither of us are sports fans. So, but that's the whole thing is is that I I look at things like this and 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 I think Apple and the NFL as a whole are good comparative analysis against what's happened with D and D and where it sits because it is very close to that thing. Like I grew up in a PC household. Yeah. I grew up with XTs and stuff, but I i mean, literally, the funniest part about that is my first computer that was in my house was an orange. Oh. <laughs> it was literally called an orange, and it was an XT. Are you trying to say that we're going to be comparing apples to oranges? Exactly. In this that was the here? whole point of it. Yeah. It was hilarious. But the whole thing was is that I grew up with control of my system. Mm-hmm. And whatever, I could do whatever I want, you know, with it and, and have fun with it. And that's where my mentality came from for that. Yeah. But I didn't have a brand to follow. Right. No, I see. I, so I grew up in the Apple household. Um, uh, we I remember we got our first Mac. Uh, it was like a 2SI or something like that. So it wasn't like one of the, the little box Macintoshes with the, mm-hmm. with the monochrome screens. Like we had, uh, I think we spent the extra money to get like 256 colors on that monitor. You know, it was right around right around that technology point. I think we had like an 80 megabyte hard drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was two. Who? No, I think we sprung the extra money for like the four megabytes, not gigabytes, megabytes of RAM. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of the time period. That seems about right. Yeah. That uh, seems about right. So I want to say that was like 89 or somewhere around there. Okay. That, that adds up because like I can think of the 250 megabyte drive that I had at the time. Yeah. And like... I think I was shooting 16 megabytes mm-hmm. of RAM or something more than that. And I was already on my, I probably at that point, I was probably on a 3 or 486. Yeah. Building it myself. Like, yeah. I built that system. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of P, a lot of PCs, P, PC people did. And, you know, here's the thing, though, is that, like, li- growing up in a Mac household, you get kind of, like, inundated with the Mac propaganda, right? <laughs> so, like, nowadays... I know well enough that, like, building your own PC gives you a measure of control over the components and their interactions and stuff like that, the actual specs. And then also, you know, piecemealing it and doing all the labor and assembly yourself mm-hmm. also cuts down on cost. Yeah. You can do a phenomenal computer for a thousand bucks. Yes. You know, and just uh, that it'll, it'll, it'll take you a lot of places and do a lot of things for we you. We honestly couldn't have had that part of the conversation a year ago, but. <laughs> well, yeah, with the, with the graphics cards being yeah. what they were. Um, but, uh, back in the days, you know, because I was like kind of inundated with all the Apple kind of propaganda, feeling that I was superior for being an Apple user, 
oh, you have to build your own? Mine come pre, you know, pre-assembled. It's already done for me. Right. You but know? I, and, I, and here's, okay. So we then stepped into the brand wars of that with like Gateway and Dell and all these people making sure, copies of what. Sure, but the, they were building PCs. Mine right. was a Mac. But they were mimicking what mm-hmm. Apple was trying to do with its brand trends and it just didn't work. Because, again, Apple knew at that point in its history, when it started making its brand in that direction, that it was not building systems. It was building an image it was of marketing. An image, yeah. um, um, D&D didn't do that. Like, it, th- this is where we, we see a little bit of a change. And I, I kind of want to step it in here a little bit because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. D&D had a lot of the same upbringing. You know, you have this image of Steve Jobs... And Wozniak building these systems mm-hmm. right early on, and this this fledgling thing that no one's ever done. But really, it was a mimic of what was happening in technology at that time. I mean, NASA was doing its things. Computers were starting to become thing. Mm-hmm. And you had these two guys who were basically like, yeah, we could do this. We could start doing these things, right? And... Gary did the same thing. Gary Gygax stepped in and said, hey, I've been playing this this way. I've been using this system this way. I'm going to do something different for for my liking and push forth this idea that we could do it differently. Mm-hmm. And then he just started writing, and we now we, we developed that first initial Dungeons & Dragons that came out. And too much fanfare even at that time within the culture. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, ish. I mean, the the thing was though is that I don't think like D and D didn't start off as a lifestyle brand. Like, and and it, that, and that's what I'm saying. The switch point wasn't with Steve Jobs. He didn't. I mean, they didn't immediately turn it into a lifestyle brand. It didn't start as that. When the company formed, it did. And I think that's the key point difference there. Yeah. When Dungeons yeah. and Dragons started out, it was just trying to do gaming. Mm-hmm. That's all it was doing. Like, let's make the best fantasy-looking thing that we can so it's cool. F- following more along the lines of how books were being published, because that's what model they had to follow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they had to follow all of this design of these epic story books with this amazing artwork. Well, not only that, but also the, all the other, like, you know, play-by-post games that were... The, the, yeah, they that were, were out stra- there. Strategy games that they were trying to, you know, uh, model themselves off for awful, you know... Yeah. And instead of it being something that was adopted and grabbed onto and and then, you know, allowed to turn into a marketing war, we had something turn at just the wrong point. And that was is that we had, unlike Apple, who immediately went in and went into schools and started, like, owning things with their marketing, they didn't have a marketing person against them that was in society. There was right. nobody saying that Apple will make your kids turn into demons <laughs> and worship the devil. We had the satanic panic. Yeah. For uh... those who are unaware um, and may have heard the terms, early in the, I'd say late 70s, or through the early 80s, very early 80s, we had what was known as a satanic panic. And that was this false belief uh, that was propagated by a, a lot of different things. Uh, that all culminated with this concept that D&D was satanic, 
would cause people to ca- cause your children to start worshiping the devil and that these spells they were physically casting and it was very witchcrafty uh and all of it was basically just to to bring about the end of the world mm-hmm. in a different light uh, a movie with Tom Hanks kind of pointed at the psychological problems that could come out oh, of playing yeah, what, mazes and mysteries or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there were actually a number of documentaries that also were produced as like almost PSAs about people losing themselves into D and D, which were completely and ridiculously out, you know, uh, of of documentary footage that was pulled out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And people just – the problem was is that the people who were playing it kind of laughed it off and said that's not what it is and moved on with their lives, whereas the rest of society cap- took that and said, I don't want anything to do with this. Right, And right. it turned it into a subversive cell culture no different than, like, goth or the whole, like, well, dark dance movement. Over, Overwatch in the live chat says D&D was, like, obscure metal music. Huge amounts yeah. of small groups of people knew, knew about it. Other groups vocally against it. Uh and thought it was terrible. The general populace knew about it, but never really experienced it. And now, decades later, it's, quote, cool. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I, that's, that's kind of what I want to roll into here. We'll, we'll get back to kind of like the, the impact of the satanic panic in a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, so you've got you've got the, the, the rise of popularity here. You've got this generation of, of kids who didn't live through the satanic panic, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's the important part is that. The Satanic Panic was something in, in, in the past that kind of suppressed D&D's popularity. Yes. The, the major impact of the Satanic Panic was people who played D&D didn't do it openly. And it's not that we had anything to be ashamed of. We weren't doing anything wrong. But you just didn't want, you know, religious fundies breathing down your neck about, you know, well, it also how didn't, we're all worshipping Satan. You it know? also didn't play well to do so. Like, you always did it in a room with a couple of friends. Like, yeah. it felt like you were doing drugs, honestly. Because it's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're going over and playing D&D. What's that? Well, a bunch of us get around a table and talk. Right. Oh, we, we pretend we're elves and stuff like that. Oh, you pretend you're, you know, doing fantasy stuff and, yeah. Yeah, you're doing make-believe. Yeah. Um, You know, but 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 it kind of came, you know, it, it, was, it was it was kind of shameful. Because, oh, 100%. Because, you know, it, it had this sort of, like, shameful aspect to it but that we had to hide because... Again, not not that it was a bad thing we were doing, but because you just didn't want religious fundies crawling up your crawling up your rear about it, you know. Yeah, or or worse yet, looking bad for your parents. And and we kind of come away with this trauma, you know. I remember, um, you know, I, I I've talked about it on the show before. My my first game was not Dungeons and Dragons; it was actually Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other mm-hmm. Strangenesses by yep. uh, Palladium. Mm-hmm. And my parents were just fine with me playing that. Yeah, and then. Um, in high school, or I think it was junior high, this is the first time I ever played D&D, uh, it was AD&D 2nd Edition, and went over to one of my friends from band, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was like, he was like, hey, why don't you come on over tonight, we're playing D&D, I told my mom, I'm like, hey, can you drive me over to this, guy, this guy's place, I'm playing D&D with him, and my parents freaked out, and I remember being really caught off guard by that, because I'm like, to me, in my mind, I know what D&D is, and I know what TMNT was, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, they're the same game. One just uses swords and magic, and the other one is mutants, you know, and guns uh, and ninjas, you know. I don't understand the problem here, and I had to explain that to my parents. They knew enough about the Satanic Panic to have the knee-jerk reaction, but they didn't have enough to defend their position on it. Mm-hmm. So it was like... 
oh, it's it's evil. I'm like, how is it evil? Well, there's a I I heard there's a demon on the cover of the book. I'm like, yeah, mom, there there is a demon on the cover of the book, but you realize that the good guy is fighting the demon, right? Like the demons are the bad guys. We kill them because they're evil, and that's how the game is played. Oh well, I don't like it, but I guess you can go. Yeah. Whereas, like, my first game was Robotech, which was giant robots and missiles and stuff. So it was like War of the Future in mm-hmm. Anime Land, and my parents had absolutely no problem with that. And my cousins played D and D, and the cousins that I'm speaking of were exceptionally religious, mm-hmm. like. They know all of the saints and and pray to them individually for different things, like superiorly so. And so having them be the ones who are interested in it was always interesting, like juxtaposition for everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another point to this, much like this set, is that uh, was Knox made, which is the same thing we're going to talk about a little bit here, is that it was stereotyped in the 80s. To make fun of nerds who played it. Yeah. It was in movies, oh, in yeah. culture, TV show. Yeah. You know, those were always the nerds. It was always made to look dorky and uncool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you, yeah, you carried that stigma along with it, you know. What's even weirder about that is that that stigma carries. It's still there. It's still in cartoon culture. It's still in other culture. It's turned it's you look at it in those cartoon lenses differently, but they're still making fun of people who are doing it, even in the most supportive ones. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's uh, it does. Here's the thing. I think the edge has been taken off of it. I still think you do see it like, oh, this is a thing for nerds. But I think nerds have been elevated in culture enough that we're all just kind of like, haha, nerds anyway. Um, instead of being like, oh, these are the lowest of the low. These are the most undesirable people who will die virgins, you know, right. um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, and they play D&D. So, case in point, uh, Hawkeye, the series, yeah, has a whole bunch of LARPers in it. Sure. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. So, there's a whole scenario where basically they become heroes. Yeah. Effectively in it. I don't think those LARPers are ever looked down upon, though. They're very helpful. They're humanized in a lot of ways. Sure, there's a there's a little bit of chung, tongue-in-cheek of like, oh, haha, they're kind of dorks. But, like, I don't think it was done of like, you know, look at these heels. And my point to this is that the tongue-in-cheek has to have a turn where they become something. And I think that's the important turn there. Mm-hmm. And we're, society is enforcing that, right? It's pushing that envelope. We have celebrities who play D&D, right? We have, because we've had celebrities who enjoy things that are make-believe, that are quote-unquote geeky, mm-hmm. you know? And that helps make that turn, that turn from what wasn't cool is cool. These are the people who were us back in the day, yeah. who played Battletech, who played uh, early Warhammer, who played these games and, and played D&D in secret because it was the game that we weren't allowed to play. Yeah. Everything else was just a board game of a different flavor, sure. right? So now all these, you know, Henry Cavill comes out that he likes it. You know, Geek and Sundry, all people come out. They loved it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, Will Wheaton loves it, you know? Then it must be cool kind of a thing, right? Because we were all Wesley one day in our life getting yelled at. And in that, now we have a whole different culture, this this youth culture that's coming up, who are literally running D&D clubs in school, which is something I would have thought was amazing in my school at my time. Mm-hmm. Or even, like, 
my sister and I hearing about it even at the library, mm-hmm. but that never happened. We had to build everything our you know ourselves if we wanted to do those types of things. Yeah, yeah. and keep it inside. But now, like, it's there. That culture is there. You you even made a note about uh, a a a kid being asked about Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, you you've got these D and D clubs that have like triple digit you know memberships in there that where the math teacher runs the game you know on occasion. And I heard this story about you know someone who was like trying to relate to a, a, a young kid, like I would say like twelve, you know, right? And uh, they said uh, something about Fortnite. And the mm-hmm. kids scoffed at the adult and was like, "Uff, stupid boomer. We don't we don't play uh, you know we don't play Fortnite anymore. Nobody plays Fortnite." And she's like, "All right, well, what are the kids doing nowadays?" And uh, unknowingly, the kid looks up at the adult and goes, "Have you ever heard of Dungeons and Dragons?" And of course, the you know the joke being the adult was just like, "I am so proud that it's come around full circle that Dungeons and Dragons is the cool thing kids are doing." Yeah. But the Dungeons and Dragons is the cool thing kids are doing. Yeah. You know, and and. You've got this whole generation of people, okay, we've we've reached the point where, okay, you and I grew up at the tail end of the sat- satanic panic. Yes. Okay. We have a generation of people who are now old enough that they have kids that have not even heard of the satanic panic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That generational trauma of D&D being a shameful thing has been erased now. Yes. Okay. And so... You've got a whole generation of kids now that are free to enjoy Dungeons and Dragons unironically mm-hmm. to its fullest with no judgment. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's still judgment in the, the deepest, darkest places of, you know. Well, I mean, uh, there's there's judgment religious over religious fanaticism. But yeah, I, I, I saw a preacher today talking about how he wanted to break a kid's fingers for wearing nail polish. So I, you know, they're, they're going to freak out about anything, really. Well, and not only that, I mean, just in straight up school culture. There's all kinds of pressure that creates the things that it creates. Sure, sure. You're always going to have whoever is the lowest minority group, Mm -hmm. you know, or or meekest are going to get kicked around because it's an easy target. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's good that it's less of a target. And also that this is creating more social groups. Absolutely. That that spread between people. It just, it just, like, like, I I think there's the, like I said, there's the combined rise of nerd culture Mm -hmm. and the erasure of the stigma of D&D both kind of combined. We're like, you just don't see kids getting their books dumped and shoved into lockers anymore, you know, for... At least not for that reason. For being a and d geek. Yeah. You know? They probably do for still playing Fortnite, but... (laughs) Um, and, And that's... That kind of brings us to our next point here, where it's like D&D has kind of become a household name for all tabletop RPGs, at least here in America. Yeah, like Xerox was. Wait, I'm old. Or, or well, <laughs> Xerox, Kleenex, yeah. Band-Aid. Yeah. You know, you realize Band-Aid is a brand name. Right. Right? Yeah. It's technically an adhesive bandage. Yeah. But you don't say, get me a, oh, I got a paper cut, get me an adhesive bandage. Mm-hmm. You say, grab me a Band-Aid. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um... And it's it's just like that. Uh, we're you know, you have said before like we're gonna do some group storytelling. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. Well, we're playing D anD D. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I, even like with Savage Worlds, mm-hmm. as as big of a name in the uh in the in the RPG sphere as Savage Worlds is, mm-hmm. I I can't you know talk to a common person to be like, oh yeah, it's my Savage Worlds game this weekend. Like, what's that? It's D anD D. 
okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a different know? kind of D&D. It's a different kind of D&D, right. It's right. off-brand D&D, you know? Exactly. No, that's the funny and part I, about I that. I hate describing it like that, because I know Savage Worlds is such a great game and stands on its own merits, but, you know, when you're trying to make that interpersonal connection, when you're trying to talk to another person mm-hmm. and convey an idea, you can't just be like, okay, well, here, let me give you a 45-minute dissertation on how, you know, tabletop RPGs and how they're broad and diverse. You have to find the cultural colloquialism, which is D&D. You just say, it's D&D, and you move on, and you know? That, and that isn't just a U.S. thing. It is a world thing. Yeah. Which is great and and terrifying in the same regard because everything is uniformity behind it about what it is and the image that it makes and, mm-hmm. and what it infers. Um, so in that, and we compare, we talked about Apple and NFL and how they're kind of different in how they handle things. After the Satanic Panic, after all that, when D and D, and we'll start with Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, really starting with Wizards of the Coast because I don't like, think TSR marketed it quite as broadly as 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 Wizards of the Coast. Did. God no, TSR made production of the system easier without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Like they, in whether or not it physically was or wasn't, I believe in irrelevancy, and will we could we could literally fight that with somebody who who's done publishing and understands what's happened there, but they made it accessible. Wizards of the Coast made it a brand. They made stores out of it. They huge huge models out of it. Made a movie. Oh yeah, Lakeside Mall had a uh, had a had a nope. uh, a Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, store. my yeah. Twelve Oaks Mall had one. I yep. love. I was there like second day after opening because yep. I so wanted to see what was in there. Yep. You know, and it was cool. It was a, it was like a Disney store. It was really vibrant. There was a space. It was different, right? Mm-hmm. And in that sense, they sold what was D and D as an image. Oh yeah. And that they sold it. I will straight up like Disney. Like it's a thing. It's a place you go to. Yeah, you know. And that isn't necessarily Apple. That's kind of closer to the NFL. A little like, bit. Yeah, you know. Because again, you have these subcultures that are the ones that are actually playing, and they all do it a little differently. Right. So it's a little. It's going to be a little complicated, but we'll walk you through. We'll walk you through the shape of D and D as a as a lifestyle brand here. So. D&D is a mix of Apple and NFL. They are the AppFL. Yeah, they are a fashion brand and a show fandom all at the same time. At the same time. So start with a rise in social media, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, broad mass market ability to broadcast to basically anybody with an internet connection at any time. Um, mm-hmm. And to go and watch those the, those videos at any time you want, unlike television, which you have to be there when the thing is broadcast. So it gives rise to the popularity and accessibility to actual plays. Um, most probably well-known of these is Critical Role, mm-hmm. but obviously a lot of other actual plays that are very popular have sprouted up. We've talked about those before. Um, Adventure Zone, uh, yep. Dimension 20, to name a few. And n- not only that, and I'm going to throw this in at this point because I think it's it, it sits in there, mm-hmm. is that at the same time, we had other colloquialisms that were outside of the actual plays happening. We had Stranger Things. Yep, Stranger Things also brought Kevin Was, was a huge way of, uh, of bringing that back around. You had uh, references in other uh, movie media and TV media that were getting thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Third Rock, or not Third Rock from the Sun, um... Uh, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory yep. was another one where, like, you had the main characters, these exceptionally intelligent, eccentric nerds who were cool, were playing D&D, you mm-hmm. know? 
and and LARPing and doing all those things. Again, that that kind of two prong attack was happening, whether or not it was something uh, that was recognizable as a brand shift, right? Yeah. That yeah. turned it into this show place that you you were constantly seeing, and it was it was sprinkled everywhere or sl- and always made available. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but the the big thing is though is that for the first time ever, you've got a fan base that can spectate the game mm-hmm. and not be a part of it without going to a convention. <laughs> and I kind of want to like give a shout out to Knox in the box here because mm-hmm. believe it or not, he fits right directly into this demographic. Yeah. Knox generally doesn't play. He's I've I've run a game for him. Sean's run a game for him. Um, but. Uh, kind of decided he didn't really like enjoy the 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 actual playing of the game mm-hmm. like, again he's in live chat correct me if i'm wrong here um in any way i want to represent you accurately but um but yeah you uh, uh he actually turned me on to critical role um i one of our other patreons uh tim saucer mm-hmm. was talking about uh how he's got a friend that identifies as a D&D fan mm-hmm. has never played a game and maybe doesn't even want to right you know these are just two people on our discord imagine how many other people there are out there that mm-hmm. that experience dungeons and dragons are in the dungeons and dragons fandom as spectators that have never rolled a die never created a character feels a lot like the NFL. It does feel a little bit like the NFL. So when you've got a show fandom um, like this, uh, you've got to signify ways that you are part of the group mm-hmm. that don't involve buying and playing the product, right? Right. If you're not a player on the field, how do you identify yourself as a fan from the stands? Stickers on your car... T-shirts with logos. T-shirts with that cool-ass ampersand dragon dragon That's logo. Right. And then you yep. also target the things that they do. Like in the case of NFL, you, know, you go after drinking or you go after food. In the case of D&D, you go after dice yeah. and memes. Now and... suddenly you've got a pair of D20 earrings, you know. Right. You've got, you've got three sets of, of designer dice you bought yeah. off of Etsy and you've never played D&D before. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean these these people exist, and you know what? Good for them. Yeah. Like this is this is in no way you know meant to throw shade at them. Welcome to the fandom. We yeah. love you. And it bleeds, unlike the NFL, where things kind of stop at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Where like this is no longer really that sports fandom. This doesn't like custom maps of Lord of the Rings. Kind of Lord of the Rings kind of fits into this. Like, sure. oh, I got a word burned map of Middle Earth. Great. I have a wood-burned map of my homebrew game. Really? Uh-huh. Like, same thing. Like, it doesn't shift yeah. for them. Because, again, it's all part of that same culture, that same make-believe story culture. And because it's storytelling, it blends into that as well. Yep. So you have this large spectator blend that's acceptable and accessible. And now you've got D&D as fashion. But it doesn't end there. Nope. Then you have the breakaway fashion, the things that are not necessarily licensed, but are on the edges of that licensing. Well, the important part about this particular twist in the in the discussion is that fashion brands hook you with small accessories, right? Mm-hmm. They get you wearing the sunglasses or carrying the bag or something like that, right? And it's small and um, 
and innocuous, but right. it gets you it gets you into the brand, it gets you enjoying the brand mm-hmm. um, and identifying with the brand, so that you then start moving into things like larger garments, you know, a, 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 a shirt or a blouse or a skirt or, or something more expensive, a pair of shoes or a coat or you know, until suddenly you're bedecked from head to toe in mm-hmm. this particular brand, um, and you can kind of make those same moves in Dungeons and Dragons culture, where you've got you know you start with dice maybe some miniatures and then you get like geek culture stuff like you said like funko pops um those are a huge thing of like you know um and it all kind of stems from this pressure to kind of perform the identity of a geek or a or a D player you know um i've even experienced this same the same pressure like in our own peer group mm-hmm. right like i'm very utilitarian with a lot of my stuff um i i have a there's a part of my brain that goes, is this in any way useful? Does this have utility to me? And if the answer isn't an immediate and, and definitive yes, I generally don't buy the thing. Right. You know, I don't impulse buy a lot of stuff. Um, But I felt this pressure from you guys like uh, – and again, this is like two out of ten pressure here. I'm not sure. – this is not me airing dirty laundry. This no. is just This is just me saying, hey, I've also, you know, experienced this. Like we went, we you and I went up to our tour uh, FLGS, mm-hmm. and they have a whole like glass case of designer dice in the back, silver and gold and special gemstones. Oh and yeah, yeah. Like I I I bought Vicky uh, for her birthday a set of rose quartz dice from that they're, very and they're very lovely case. as hell. Um, so that that's the type of designer dice we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I remember like even even Sean was like don't you want to buy like a new set of dice? <laughs> and I was like, no, I've, I've got, I've got dice. They're like sparkly and pink and super girly. And I love them. Uh, and I've, I've got enough dice to play my games. Like uh, we're switching over to Savage Worlds, So it's not like I need huge buckets full of dice. You generally in Savage Worlds only roll two dice at any given time. Um, but there was this like moment of disbelief where you guys were like, you what? don't want new, like, how are you a geek and not wanting to impulse die uh, impulse buy hordes of dice that you don't need? You need them. I mean, I remember going to Gen Con uh-huh. and, and being inundated in the 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 merchants corridor, which was you know a football field's worth of merch, right? Dedicated to gaming and watching Overwatch dig through a Lexan cube that was three two and a half feet by two and a half feet by four like probably three or four feet deep full of dice and he's digging through it to pull out his cup of dice that he wants that were specific mm-hmm. a whole like mug and now I know his brother has dice mm-hmm. even there he had dice but that moment you are a five year old. And the ear in your playing your dream game. Like, this was not something you could have. And so I feel to a degree that, that, that the culture is also reaching the point that you and I played in the back rooms and corridors with scrap dice that we stole from other games oh, yeah. or borrowed from friends and hoped to give back or, or didn't. You know, books that we borrowed. And now we are here. Mm-hmm. We can print our 3D minis that we want. We can paint. We can buy custom dice that are made out of rose quartz or sterling silver, you know, and have the best of what we want 
kind of at a reasonable price. Yeah. I can have my glory days moment. Mm-hmm. You know, much like baseball or football players. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is that all of the supply is driven by demand. Yeah. And when you are marketing your game like a fashion product, you you generate that demand. It's 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 amazing, you know. Um, we got uh, Sean and I got talking about the, about the history of the NFL. You know, we didn't you you didn't really see it uh, become the spectacle it was until they stopped marketing it like a sport and started marketing it like a show. Yeah. It's an experience now. It's yeah. not. It's not just a sport. You know, mm-hmm. anybody can play sports. But this, we have a theme song. It is the NFL. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and all of that wraps this feeling of who you need to be. Apple does the same thing. You're part of a culture because you are using Apple. You are part of the D and D culture because you have the logo. Because you're playing with the books. You're rolling the D20. Mm-hmm. You know? And Wizards tried to capture that, and they did. And they like, did? D- the D20, without even without even if you step into the subculture of role-playing games, the D20 is recognized as the D&D die. Yeah, it's like the universal symbol of role-playing games nowadays, really. I mean, yeah. even if it's not D&D, it's just, it's, you just, you show that, that, that hexagonal sort of shape nat and people, 20 yeah yeah and, and a nat 20 is it. ubiquitous for success yeah it's oh you rolled a one on that people who don't play D say that yeah. you know yeah what, what do you mean you rolled a one you know well, i mean you... it's like somebody saying like well you batted 300 on that like n- not a lot of people get that reference and and it it goes aside but you could say that you rolled a nat one and everybody's oh okay like yeah, at yeah. least half the room is going to be like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i think and i think the term is you're batting a thousand see boom done yeah and I actually do know what that one means, um, uh, but yeah, no, no. no. So uh, the the other the other thing about fashion, though. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know not, where you're going. not only do you, do you do you hook them with small things, and you you create these these little these little tchotchkes that allow you an in into the the fashion um, uh, trend, right? But the second component to fashion is that it must constantly evolve. And it has to make the previous iterations feel obsolete, right? Yes. We've all heard that term of, you know, the, the, the snide fashionista saying, oh, that's so last season. This is precisely what we're talking about, is that attitude right there of the thing that you are wearing is no longer fashionable. It has gone out of fashion. Now you need to buy a new product to make sure that you are keeping up with the fashion curve. And... Apple did that exceptionally well. Apple does this exceptionally well. Apple even does this with their, like, cords. Yeah. Now, cords aren't a fashion product necessarily, but they do make you keep buying new stuff to stay updated because the old cord doesn't fit into the new shaped port. Well, not even that. Like, you can't even use the same OS. Like, you you upgrade and now your system is dog slow. Gotta move up to the new hardware. Yep. Got to get the new. Got to get the new tablet with the new pen and that the new is, screen. That is what killed my last Mac. The last Mac I ever bought, I upgraded the OS, and it suddenly took like twenty. You know, like uh, I forgot. It was like it took like four times the RAM that it was running off of at the time, mm-hmm. and I was piss poor and could yep. not afford to upgrade my computer. But like D and D, not just versioning, mm-hmm. not just the versions. You, we you brought it out, and it really made sense to me when you talked about the major updates, like Tasha, Tasha's, 
Xanthar's Guide, Volos. Yeah. Each you, one of those gives you more. It gives you iterations on the core rules. Right. Right? That are that are seen as in the culture, when they're when they're adapted into the greater culture, um, they are uh they're seen then kind of as mandatory, mm-hmm. right? You've got settings and adventures such as Ghost of Saltmarsh, Strixhaven, uh Ravenloft, things like that. You've well, got adventures that come out, Lost Minds of Fendelver, I think I always say that wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh Drag Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh Descent into Avernus. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all the unearthed arcana on top of that. Yeah. Which right? is a runway show within itself. Exactly. It's like the runway show is kind of previewing you yeah. future possible fashions we might be going in this direction. And you look at the unearthed arcana to kind of see where things are heading mm-hmm. and then when new releases come out you go flipping through them going oh oh they the uh you know the wildfire druid was an unearthed arcana for a while i heard that it was in tasha's what did they do with it right is it is it in here what did they change what does the final version of this unearthed arcana look like you know yeah exactly and your runway fashion becomes next season's official fashion and the cycle repeats yeah you know I mean, and, and if you say you're only, and this comes back to some of our other stuff we talked about where people are like, what books should I use? Well, you can play the game with just the player's handbook. You don't necessarily even need the DM's guide. You yeah, can, right. There's DM stuff in the player's handbook to be able to run a game. And if you did that after fourth edition, people look at you like you're insane. Yeah. Because fourth had three books. They were the ones that, like, without a doubt, you could look at three and three, five and say, eh, they almost did it. When you hit fourth edition, it changed the game. They they forced that three, that three book hand, and that is carried. And now you're thought weird if you don't include one supplement book mm-hmm. in some way to add a coolness or a twist to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And that definitely feels like a direction that they're going in. That, like, the core rules of D&D will just be core rules, and everything is going to be a spin, like a new flavor that keeps coming out. Yep. And yep. I could I could easily see with this new D&D core that they do away with, like, base D&D will be fantasy, for Faroon, or Forgotten Realms. They'll mm-hmm. pick something, and that will be the base. And then everything else is going to be an add-on. And yeah, if you so- don't have an add-on, it feels bland. Yeah. Yeah. Like you got your core monsters to get yourself through the tutorial effectively? Yeah, sure. Like, you can just wear the blouse, I guess. But don't you want the shoes and the slacks to go with it? And yeah. wouldn't this jacket look fem- look phenomenal with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it all would because it's all the same fashion brand. Right. You know? I mean, you can just have the Steelers t-shirt, but why aren't you wearing the jersey? Yeah. With yeah. the flag and a sticker on your car. Oh, your jersey isn't autographed? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's so the other thing. So you're poor? Mm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and nobody's saying it, <laughs> but culturally it's there. But culturally there's an expectation, right? If I mean, you, we see yeah. it in D- DM Academy, it's painted everywhere. If you, like, there are people who, who, who go in there and they're like, what, I'm just starting off as a storyteller, what do I need for, for D&D? And, like, you get people who just, like, list seven or eight books, and it's like, no, no. no. <laughs> Can I... And, like, people, unironically, all seriousness, hat in hands, asking the community, is it okay to just play with the player's handbook? Yes! All right. Knox just said something, and I'm going to pause this conversation for just a sec. I made the reference that D&D is the burger. D&D is the burger. Of things. But it's true. Knox says, build your D&D burger or your D&D taco. 
Right. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Everybody is expecting a D&D burger. And if you hand them a D&D taco, they look at you funny. Because the burger is a burger. Mm-hmm. I'm playing D&D. Just give me some sides. Tell me what it's going to be. Is it going to be, ter- you know, what are my options that you put on the grill? Well, right. look, you're like technically, a burger is just a hamburger patty between two buns. <laughs> but if you really want the good burger experience, experience. you're going to want to add cheese, bacon, lettuce, tomato, onions, and pickles. On a sesame seed bun. On a bun. Sesame, toasted sesame seed bun. That's right. right. And you're going to want to garnish that with ketchup and mustard. Mayo also, but that's a controversial choice. That's a little bit of unearthed arcana of... And and the default. You want fries with that? Yeah. (laughs) And of course, if you're gonna, if you're gonna play D&D Burger, you gotta have D&D fries. You gotta have D&D fries. What are the fries for D&D? Oh, it's good news. We also sell those fries Fries. here on our website. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good question. What are the D&D fries? Uh, Dice. That is, means, um, that is true. That is true. Look at D and D Beyond. They actually have sales of virtual dice. D- the digital dice. Digital I've, dice I've gotten enough out. free ones over the over the course of my my uh, my pay, my payment. I have, I'm going to have to take a look this year to see if I, uh, I'm going to be keeping it for yeah. at least one more year. But, um, but but no. But it's a perfect analogy. It is a perfect. It's analogy. a perfect analogy, and it makes you hungry. So that's also cool. And it comes back to: Do people play the older editions? No, no, no. they don't because but, they're last season, right? But they brought Rave, uh, Ravenloft back in the new edition uh-huh. to please the historians. Yeah, and they're bringing uh, Dragonlance back. I saw that. I yep. saw that. And there was a... Spelljammer just came back. Well, the thing was is I just saw that they th- – th- this was interesting. Spelljammer, when it hit, had both negatives and positives mm-hmm. thrown around, and nobody at D&D were saying otherwise. Everyone has their opinions. Either way, it's advertising for them and draws people to look at it. Sure. Dragonlance, it's getting the same treatment right now. I literally just saw three posts today about why you should or shouldn't even look at it. Post number one, Dragonlance is the greatest. Post number two, Dragonlance is what destroys D&D. Yeah, yeah. like, you're never going to want to play this because it it doesn't include the following and limits you. You'll want to play this because it changes the scope and makes your game more exciting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But either way, D&D is winning as a brand. Yeah. So they're gaining the best of what Apple taught about brand and the best of what the NFL taught, which is about team loyalty, about and... factioning within your own thing without yeah. losing the brand. Because I assure you, those two people who argue about whether or not Dragonlance is better or not, the moment that someone comes in and says, role playing is for nerds, will both turn, shake hands, and say, who's going to kick his ass first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not not even that, but, you know, I, I, I think it's this team mentality. It's this, it's this brand loyalty that you see a lot of in, like, when you get groups that that uh, you know, oh, I want I want to play I want to play a role playing game, but I want it to be you know kind of a, a romantic swashbuckling tale set on the high seas in the seventeen hundreds, uh, but with magic. What do you think would be a good system for that? You know, I've literally seen that question asked. Yeah, and of course the obvious answer is seventh C. Yeah, right. Yeah. Play seventh C. That is literally the description of that setting. Yeah. Um. But you will have groups that will push back against that of like, uh, I don't want to learn a new game. That yeah. sounds hard. Can you just hack um, D and D to make it? Yeah, make uh, make a hundred rules and changes. Yeah, 
can't can't you just do that? That that seems easier than us reading another rule book. You know, yeah. and it's it's exhausting. But I think I think a lot of that kind of stems from this brand loyalty of like D and D posits itself as the be all end all because of this sort of brand loyalty of role playing games. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas mm-hmm. other you don't see that out of other tabletop games. Like I don't know of a single other game that's like, oh, you got to be like, you know, if you play this, this is the quintessential you know role playing experience here's all of our merch mm-hmm. you know most games you just you put out a core book like we do system spotlights all the time right every single month we put out a system spotlight how many of those system spotlights in your estimation were for games that had more than essentially just the core book and, and a handful of supplements if even I mean, in your estimation, I think maybe Call of Cthulhu. Maybe, maybe I actually started. We thinking did about Shadowrun. That. Shadowrun's done on a handful of editions. Palladium. Palladium's branched out quite a bit. Quite a like extensively. Palladium has so many side properties, but it's all still Palladium. Okay, but how many then? How right. many then on top of that? Okay. Even if they're prolific with their own with their own support materials, how many of those have merch? Not many. Shadowrun. Do you see? Have you ever seen like a Shadowrun T-shirt? Yeah. Sh- oh. Shadowrun is the I would I would say is the one brand that definitely did it because they weren't just huge in the United States. That's and true. Carried That's over. true. Like Catalyst Games did a lot for Shadowrun, and I think I think Call of Cthulhu too, only because you're you're piggybacking off the greater Lovecraft fandom right. at that point. Right. Um. So I think you can get away with that one as well. But I like I think those are the two exceptions to the yeah. rule. Like I would say that there are definitely because of what D and D has done, and you know, all you know, high tides raise all ships. I think we're starting to see the birth of other areas that have grown. Now, I'm not going to say that you know, Chaosium isn't a born group mm-hmm. and i'm not going to say that you know powered by the apocalypse is not a born group like a newborn group but i am saying that they are they are trying to rise with the tide and they're doing okay with that in in comparison like yeah. D yeah. sits at a certain level and and you know wizards of the coast raised it to a certain level it is currently doing what it is doing i mean it bought mm-hmm. back and and is owning things. Well, Overwatch in the in the live chat actually makes a really excellent point that we didn't we didn't touch on at all, and that's the whole D twenty system thing, the the open gaming license, the OGL. I forgot about that. Um, I mean, we did have a note about it, and I totally forgot about it. When Thank third you. edition came out, um, it came out with the open gaming license, and that mm-hmm. was basically a license that um, uh, Wizards of the Coast put out that basically said you're allowed to make stuff that uses the D twenty system, mm-hmm. the D and D third. Edition edition is built around as long as you don't publish a b and c core rules essentially right. so that you have to get the D core handbook right to be able to know how to play the game right but the entire rest of everything else can be supplementary you can make your own classes you can make your own everything yep. like that as long as you don't publish the core of the D D of the d20 mm-hmm. system good and you saw an explosion yeah an Absolute a ridiculous explosion detonation of well, pretty much anybody who had third party a, products who had a property yeah star wars uh wheel of time Times. they did a call of cthulhu they did yeah uh 
spycraft d20 modern um there was all kinds of uh, uh of spy spy games there were all kinds of mystery games there mm-hmm. were all kinds of s- sci-fi games that came out of this pretty much anyone who had a property went ooh, free there was a wheel of time d20 game that came yep. out at the time yeah yep. there was a lot of lot of good stuff that came out well i say good but there was a lot of stuff. there was a lot of product but what it did do was made the d20 that image of a die become mm-hmm. ubiquitous with a ton of properties yeah. And it saturated the market at that point because there was so much stuff trying to piggyback off of D&D's popularity at that point that it it just kind of expanded that ubiquity of Mm -hmm. D&D. And put dice in everyone's hands. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I mean, I would would dare say that that year more standardized dice sets were sold to people who probably either didn't play more than a little bit and played, like, games that they didn't want to play because it was a property they wanted to be involved in, yeah. that they liked, yeah. than anything else. Like, that that was a good explosion year. And it in no way was, I would say, was industry ready for that. No, there was, a, there was a lot of quantity over quality that went on there. And there was a lot of publishing that didn't happen. We didn't have the expansiveness of the internet. Yeah. And there were book shortages, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I remember some of the times that people were like, oh, you have a copy of that? Yeah. And like people were going to convention stuff. And then within, what, two years, you could go to a convention and you'd find stacks of books Mm -hmm. of game systems and stuff that just came out at that time and didn't make it because there was so much out there. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a sad time for that. Uh, I think we should get to questions. I think it's good. Um, I want to, this, this third question, I Go. think we already answered, so I think we're just going to skip it, sure. but the other three are really good. Uh, so Nevum, uh, Nevum, as always, uh, asks some really good questions here. Uh, the first question is, does the bigness of D&D overshadow other t- uh, tabletop RPGs? Without a doubt in my mind. Without a doubt. Especially oh. in the United States. 100%, especially in the United States. Um, Just from the fact that you can't say you're playing a t- tabletop RPG. People look at you funny, and then you go, oh, we're playing D&D, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Name, name one movie, TV show, or other major video media where a different game is being played that is recognizable. Yeah. You can't. You can't. It's just not there. You can't even even larger, long lasting names like Shadowrun and stuff like that like you never like you would never see Stranger Things like oh we're playing Shadowrun this the, this evening. The closest know? I've ever seen was Cyberpunk. I remember someone in one thing saying they were playing Cyberpunk, and it was just it was a reference, mm-hmm. but it wasn't even carried in the story at all in any way, like the. the Basically, the person used it as a as against like you mean like D and D. No, it's cyberpunk, and that was it. That was literally the reference. Yeah, because there was like a neuromancer side reference that was being made. Yeah, yeah. But that was it. Like if you didn't know what it was, it didn't make sense. Right, right. But that whole concept that D and D is now the ubiquitous Kleenex of the TTRPG world. Yeah, it does shadow like a looming giant. Yeah, because because it is such a such a household name. Then, um, I, you know, I, I remember that conversation I had with Knox when he wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. He was like, "Will you run a game for me?" And mm-hmm. that's what that's how he asked, "Will you run a game for me?" And I said, "Well, yeah, absolutely. What, what kind of game do you want me to run for you?" Yeah. And he went, "There are multiple types." And I went, "Oh, honey, yeah, <laughs> you know." But 
But the fact was, hat in hand, he's asking me for a game and did not know there were other options than D&D. And you think that's probably not an uncommon conversation to have with people. No. That they just aren't aware of it. And even people who are aware of it cling to D&D because it is the big name. Yeah, people you know? transcendental to the industry, like I mean, to industrial people. My own family has known I've done this mm -hmm. forever, and I'm willing to bet that my mother, my father, or my sister could not name another system. Yep. Period. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Even though D&D &D was not my first system. And it creates it creates an overinflated um, perception of D&D's importance, I think, too, mm -hmm. um, where... You know, I, I wonder how many people who don't want to, you know, are, are reluctant to make that move to another system other than D&D &D, think that it's because D&D &D is the gold standard of, like, the size and support and ubiquity of a game system. And in, and in comparison, everything else looks like it's uh, just some weird indie offshoot, you know? Or, like, or or an opposite to it. Like, a lot of people look at Vampire the Masquerade from an outsider's perspective as the evil D&D, &D, where you're playing the bad guys, because you're all vampires. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that. Um, I, I mean, I, I was just thinking from the standpoint of, like, like to make a restaurant analogy. Oh, you know, okay. Of, like, um, you eat at, like, say, Applebee's all the time, because it's a big, well-known, you know, national chain name, right? Mm -hmm. Just to throw one out there. And then... You know, and you're very satisfied eating there because they've got a broad menu and they're well known. They're they're a decent restaurant. That's up to opinion, I suppose. But, um, you know, and then somebody's like, "Hey, let's do something other than Applebee's. I know this great other place, and it's like some greasy spoon ma and pa restaurant. You know, it's some little one-off diner on the side of the highway. You know, I I wonder if people feel that way about it." Of, like, this isn't the comfortable ground I know, and if you're going to take me off to a different to a different area, it's because it's obscure and low quality and nobody likes it like they like D&D, &D, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm they, with you. They equate popularity with quality, I suppose. And therefore, yeah. if you're going to suggest another game to them, they think, oh, well, that it's, it's obviously not as well known because it sucks. So... That that lends a point. Yeah. And I'm going to make a movie reference. Yeah. That I think puts the brand in perspective to the people who dislike D&D &D and where it's going. Did you see Free Guy? I did not. Okay. So Free Guy is the Ryan Reynolds movie. Uh, and uh, giant spoilers, it's about uh, a guy who basically steals a property from somebody else and uses the brand to create his own brand. Mm -hmm. Like, his, the game engine to create his own brand. Um, and wants to create a whole new game. So it's effectively like Grand Theft Auto, except the engine's running on, a, like, this cool in independent system underneath it. Yeah. With a smart AI. And he's building this piece of crap game and can basically step away from the IP. But one of the points... That one uh, that uh, is made in it is the primary villain basically talks about his brand mm -hmm. and keeping it. Like, you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? If you love Kentucky Fried Chicken and I make Kentucky Fried Chicken and I know that you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, why would I make another restaurant, like, I don't know, called Albuquerque Boiled Chicken? It makes no sense. 
I'm going to give you Kentucky Fried Chicken, Chicken Part 2. Yeah. And that's effectively what is happening with any good brand. Yep. They're not going to give you something that's a new experience that's totally different because you're not going to attach to that new brand. And that's why we have a hard time breaking away from it. If the market has proven that an iteration on an idea works, why would you try to innovate away from the working proven formula? Exactly. Exactly. You just iterate on the existing formula. And that's why anything that sits just outside of D&D's shadow still is overshadowed by it. Yep. Yep. So. All right. That was uh, a long answer to a so question. So the, the, the second <laughs> question, though, is what are the influences on the brand over the gaming industry? And I think we just rolled through that one. Oh, without a doubt. Without uh, a doubt. So the third question is, uh, uh, is D&D as a lifestyle brand worldwide phenomena or mostly U.S.-based? That's a fine question. Uh, it is not just U.S.-based. Yeah. Uh, or, or say it is, or sorry, I'm sorry. It is more or less just U.S. based. Yes. There's probably like the U.K. probably like uh, has a little bit of it, but I think they're a lot more stuck on Warhammer than they are uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Well, culturally in America, we <laughs> I'm not going to say we invented, but 100 percent whole cloth. We sold make believe. We capitalized on the idea of make-believe. <laughs> we made the products. We made the commercials. We made we forced in the cartoons that you could be part of, that you were attached to. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to get you so embedded into make-believe as a child that it became ubiquitous with being a child. We perfected the media machine and attached it to marketing to sell toys. And then we were the market as well for that same thing. It wasn't until that pushed out into other places that TV, like, you weren't going to go to the store and get your make-believe stuff if you were in another country because you couldn't get your hands on our toys. Only certain individuals in certain areas could. Mm -hmm. The closest to that was Japan or China, who made a lot of it. Yeah, But even they didn't get it. So, yeah, it is very much a U.S. thing. Oddly, though, we do our make-believe in a childish, taboo way. Mm -hmm. We still sell it as such. We still market it as such in many ways. But it is now becoming more adult. But it is still make-believe. We have not turned our role-playing from make-believe into a a storytelling learning experience that is role-play. I... I have a whole feeling about the way the U.S. feels about the word role-playing and that we use it incorrectly. See also Nordic LARP with Dr. Doc Jason. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the, other, the other thing worth mentioning, I, I think we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, um, Shadowrun is gigantic in Germany. Europe now. You're, well, all of Europe then? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. it, it is bigger I, in Europe. I, I knew Germany just specifically, yeah. but but I guess all of Europe then. Um, and uh, Call of Cthulhu actually uh, greatly outshines Dungeons & Dragons in Japan. Morkborg. Morkborg in Morkborg Sweden. Morkborg is huge. Yes. We don't know how big it is because we don't know that group. Yeah. But yeah. it is huge in that sense. Uh, Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark is making, like... So if you go to r slash RPG, 
every single thread you will find at least mention one mention of Blades in the Dark. Especially we, if you talk about combat. You and I really need to do a, a spotlight on that. We should, we should, we should. Like, I don't think we've written January's schedule yet. We should really like, no, throw that in no. there. No, no. At least we haven't done enough system spotlights into January to do that. Yeah, so. yeah. That, yeah. that, no, we just had a recent uh, person suggest Cortex Prime as well. No, that's definitely But we'll, uh, we'll get to scheduling we'll get later. So. We'll get scheduling later. Um, so... Our next week's topic, because I'm going to shift us right out of this. Yeah, yeah, right on. Because we need to get to our 101s for December, as we are stepping hard into December, like tomorrow. <laughs> so it's the technical end of the Storytelling 101 series. Which is kind of sad in a way. It's a little bit sad. If you want to see other Storyteller 101s, uh, like we really want to hear from you as our listeners. So yes. you can find us on Discord. You can also find us on Twitter. Um, as long at, as it's still around. As long as that's still around, at ST underscore Conclave. Um, or on Instagram. You I, can message us on Instagram. Yep, Please do. ST underscore Conclave on Instagram as well. We'd yeah. love to hear from you guys as, as our listeners. Um, going into next year, uh, we'd be looking for show topics. What do you guys want us to do? Yeah, if there's system spotlights you think we, we absolutely need to talk about. Is um, there a new monthly topic we should Should we continue with 101s and move to 202s? Like, yeah. Do you want to see that? Do you want us to go deeper into a section? Of something, yep. Um, we'll we would be happy to. We just need to know what the community and where it's going. And like I said, we we just had actually somebody join our Discord and like in their welcome message explicitly said, "I am here to suggest you guys review Cortex Prime." Cool, because it's amazing, and I want to hear you guys review it. We will tear that thing down. Absolutely, boom! Thank it's you. on the list. We thank appreciate you, it. Thank you, and welcome to the conclave. Yeah, know? and and please, like. People have come in and been like, I don't know a thing about storytelling. Like, this is kind of my idea. This is going to be my first game with my friends. Can you give me some pointers? And the community just wraps around them. Like, yeah, sure, here. Yeah. What's your idea? Yeah. Where are you thinking of going with it? Is this D&D for you? Or are you going looking at another system? You know, and we're cool with that. We want to be welcoming. We want to make everyone feel like you can come in at whatever level you are at throw down a question and the community is here for you whether it's sarah and i because we message constantly we are the ones involved with our discord like yes we have a few mods probably not nearly enough for what we do sorry if you're we're, you're waiting in the welcome queue to try and get in the door uh we do get a ridiculous number of bots that show up um oftentimes that most people don't even notice uh but we would love to have more of our listeners join and and express themselves and talk about the things that they're interested in. Yeah. Your level of English does not matter, especially if you're worldly. I know we've got worldwide listeners. We would love to know where you are, what's going on there, mm -hmm. and what what gaming experience do you want to have? What kind of storytelling can we help you with? What can we bring to you? Yep. How can we explain it? Absolutely. We would love to love to do that. Absolutely. So closing out our 101 is death and lethality, which yep. is something that is <laughs> we put we put the note of finality the, at we, the end we, of the at the end of the one on one. We had to. So you've, we've talked about stories. We've talked about everything. All of it talks about the fact that characters may and often do die. Whether you're running a roguelike game where you better have five character sheets ready to go because it's Dark Souls all the yeah. way, baby, or or whether you're sitting at my table playing Elder Scrolls and we're using the Heroes Never Die special rule where. Death really isn't on the table unless it narratively really makes sense and you kind of want to, you know? Uh, so we're going to talk about that, how you uh, how you deal with it, uh, how lethal you should make things, where you find that balance point between no challenge and wiping your party. So 
You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And like we said, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. You can find that link on our Twitter, as as long as that's still around, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. And I'm going to say, if you guys want us to join Mastodon, tell us. We'll We'll flip on there, get our marketing people wrapped around it, and see what we can do. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who support us every single month. Uh, the support helps us. We would love to have more, uh, and we'd love to know what you'd like to see there as well. Uh, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We truly appreciate the support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them on patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on Instagram if you want to see their faces and listen to some cool music. Uh, our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.panticamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro, which is you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Meteor Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over these years to give us these great stories to share with you and you. Every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Good night. Good night. Love you.